Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It's the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. I completely ran over the end of the last hour of the show. So there's always ways in which we can improve in our jobs. That will be my note to self today. Don't run over the end of the show this hour. So it is Thursday, the 5th of August, 2021. Jesus is on my mind this morning. What's on your mind this morning? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, there is something about that name. Maybe a song now plays in your head, something about the name of Jesus. Let's consider our names for just a moment. Uh, On the day I was born, my parents gave me a name. It is on my birth certificate. Six months later, I was baptized with that name. It's the name uh, that by which I was known for 40 some years. But on May 7th, 2011, I got a new name. Uh, I became Mrs. LaBerge instead of Miss Fowler. I had the honor of being a bride, and now I have the honor of being a wife. And, you know, that comes, that, that new reality comes with a new name. Legally and officially, I gave up my middle name, and I became Carmen Fowler LaBerge. Well, what happened to that middle name and the point of reference to the person who was my namesake of the middle name? The middle name was Suzette, by the way. Kind of got me thinking about the practice of having namesakes and and the family members to which those names keep us connected. My nephew, Larry, bears the name of my deceased father. My niece, Mia, bears my mother's name, Ruth, as one of her own. She also bears the name of a family member on my brother-in-law's side. Uh, So we, we bear the name of a namesake for a purpose, to give that person a living legacy in the world today, to honor them, to celebrate them, to recognize them. It's a namesake. So considering our namesake, Jesus... How are we bearing his name in the world today? Are we doing so in ways that honor him and glorify him, that would lead others to honor and glorify his name? So as Christians, from God's perspective, we bear the name of Christ. And we do so not for our sake, but for his name's sake. The first people who were called Christians, followers of Jesus, um, we're in a house church in Corinth, and the the term Christian, right, namesake being Jesus Christ, the term Christian was a pejorative term. It's a little bit of a pejorative term today. Jesus forewarned his followers that they would be maligned and persecuted and martyred, both by the religious Jews and the secular Romans of their day. The cornerstone upon which they were centering their lives 
was a real stumbling block to other people. And they hadn't just taken his name. These Christians were thoroughly taken with Jesus. Their lives were reoriented to him. Their families, their finances, their friends, their passions, their ideas, their pastimes. Jesus had become the point of integration for them, not just a point of reference, not just a sometimes on some days in some ways kind of Lord, but all times, all places, in all ways, for all eternity. He would be their namesake. They called upon the name of Jesus, and they were called Christians after his name. So, my, uh, my curiosity this morning is when you acknowledge that you are a Christian, what does that mean? Is that something you're claiming for your own sake or for the sake of the name of Christ? Are we really living for the sake of the name of Christ? Or is it just one of many adjectives we use to describe ourselves? Where, and if so, then where does the term Christian fall in that list of relational, vocational, political, recreational, and other monikers that you bear in the world today? Preferred pronouns among them. What does it say about our allegiance to the one who died that we might live, that we bear his name? Let us do so today for his name's sake. Dr. Peter Kapsner joins me next. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Dr. Peter Kapsner, who has been known to officiate at a wedding or two. Welcome back, my friend. <laughs> Thank you, Carmen. I have indeed, although it's, you know, it's been a while. I, I did one a couple weekends ago, and prior to that, it maybe have been uh, a couple years, but um, I did need to go get my pastoral license again, and uh, because I don't have a specific denominational affiliation, that was an interesting process. I know we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but it was it was really fun to go through the process again, as well as actually officiate a wedding. All right. So what is sparking Peter and I's conversation about this this morning is an article that we both read at Religion News Service entitled, So You've Been Asked to Officiate a Wedding, Five Pieces of Advice from the Pros. Here's the subhead. Chances are increasingly likely if you attend the wedding of a couple under 30 years old, their officiant won't be a person of the cloth, but someone who's close to the couple. Okay, there's so much in the subhead. Boy, there really is, uh, Carmen. And I can affirm for sure that, uh, well, a couple of things are going on, that with with young people not going to church in meaningful numbers like they have in the past, and clearly there's still a lot of young people in the church, but the stats bear out from Pew Research and Barna Research and all the reputable firms that increasingly so young people do not have a specific <clears throat> religious affiliation or, or they're certainly not going to church in anywhere near the numbers they used to. And so they don't know any pastors to marry them. I can't tell you how often I've heard this in the last two to maybe five years, I want to say. Young people that I teach at university and in a couple different locations, as well as just uh, my own kids at 21 and 19 have a lot of young friends as well. And they are looking for somebody to be able to marry them. It's not just the obvious thing that we would have done in our generation, which is go to our pastor in our church and get married in our church. 
And and so you have that dynamic going on. So they're, they they don't really have uh, a pastor to marry him. And the second part of it is they do want to get married by somebody that knows them. And so you, <laughs> I chose not to go this route, but if uh, any one of the people listening this morning wanted to go ahead and get their pastoral license, it probably wouldn't uh, take more than a week to go to like the Universal Life Church and pay a fee and you would be credentialed to be able to at least file the, 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 the wedding ceremony with whatever state you're in. So it's pretty interesting what's all happening right now. And, uh, and I'm, I get increasing requests just from young people saying, will you please marry us? We don't really know a pastor. We don't know what to do at this point. And, it, and it's tricky because I want to marry people that I know and not just be a hired gun to get credentials filed with the state. So it's an interesting time. The not knowing a pastor um, to marry them is evidence, right, of a of a disconnect that we are experiencing, you know, even for Christians in the culture today. Many of them are not engaged in a local congregation. Uh, so fast forward just for a moment. It's one thing to not know a pastor to marry you. It's another thing to not know a pastor to bury you. Right. Like, I, I am increasingly concerned— that where we're headed then, um, when families are moving through and and then into right real grief um, at the loss of a of a person, then they're going to want to have a funeral of some kind because there's still like this weird cultural Christianity thing going on. And so you know, it's one thing, Peter, for somebody to call you up and ask you to do their wedding, but you know, coming is the day when those phone calls are going to come for just burying people who you kind of sort of knew. Like, it's a challenge. It is. I'll say a couple comments about that. First, from the the place of the officiant, and and that being me in the case of this wedding, but also in some of the funerals that I've done, is it is awkward to be in such incredibly sacred space. I would use the term thin space whenever I've done weddings, and especially during the vows and during the exchange of the rings and however they might represent the unity candle or the the tying of the cords, you really can feel God working among them in, in an incredibly thin space way. And I remember a funeral that I did on the other side of it where the man had become a believer through a profession of faith at baptism maybe about three months before he suddenly and tragically died. And they and they played his profession of faith in the funeral hall that day <clears throat> through an audio tape. And it, and it just echoed and resonated through the hall uh, of this person saying that he believed in Jesus Christ, the, the son of the living God. And, and that space gets really thin. And so it's this sacred place. And if you don't know the family and if you don't know the couple or you don't know the people, you haven't done any journey with them, it's kind of an awkward place to be. So from the place of the officiant uh, to, to come into that, I think really um, matters to know the people and, and to have been in a trust, a trusted shepherding kind of relationship. But the other side of it, then the second comment, and you know, I want to be careful not to be discouraging about things, but simply just being real about things. I'm not quite sure that Christendom has grasped uh, the, the gravity of the moral failures of our, of our really well-known shepherds in our country. And by that, I mean, when you see the fall of Bill Hybels at Willow Creek, or you you see what happened with Ravi Zacharias, um, I I don't know that we've really got our head around the impact of that. I mean, we we see statistics about how politicians and news media people, the the level of trust, you know, might be 
17% or 23% or 27% or whatever it happens to be terribly low in terms of trust dynamics, when you start talking to the next generation that has been growing up in environments where maybe they were treated like a giving unit in a church, or maybe they're sort of panned to it in a marketing kind of way, or you see these moral failings among leaders, the lack of trust of officiants. Uh, I, there, there's a reckoning that is part of that right now that I think is an invitation for the church leadership <clears throat> to really get its house in order. And, and I would hope that I am a trusted person in the lives of young people. I think I've proven that over uh, out over the last 10 to 15 years. They're a little surprised I actually like them and, and want to be with them. And, and I'm not trying to use them in some way to further my own little kingdom or whatever it is. And so I get I really do get a ton of requests just based off of that. So you have two things going on. You have the sacred space where uh, officiants don't know the people, but then the people don't even know where to go to have officiants because they don't know who to trust anymore. It's a really interesting dynamic. And I think there's a bit of a clarion call that I think needs to be a wake up call for us. And, and you said it at the opening, Carmen, that we're Christians. We're not we're not business people Christians. We're not Republican Christians or Democrat Christians. We're Christians. And unless we can extract ourselves from so many of these other kind of blended conversations, it's going to be tough to find our way forward. All right. After the marriage conversation, we're going to have the reproduction conversation because that's how the order of things is supposed to work. And so up <laughs> next, <laughs> Peter Kapsner and I are going to talk about a story that's going to freak you out. Totally. If you weren't already freaked out, we now live in an unreproducible society. The book is Countdown. And Peter and I are going to talk about it next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Okay, answering uh, the question of uh, a listener who says, what is a clarion call? Well, a clarion is a really long shafted trumpet. It's a war trumpet, and it was used to uh, call uh, forth armies when it was time to charge into battle. And so, you know, we probably see the clarion represented as a little bugle with a guy on a horse, but a clarion was this really long, you had to hold it out there with two hands. So you, if you just visualize for a moment the person holding, um, you know, the one part of the shaft at their lips, but then holding their other arm out there as far as possible to hold up as much of the clarion as they could, and now that was to get the sound of the clarion out as far as possible. Maybe the way church bells work uh, in American communities across the country Indeed. today. There you go. Indeed. A clarion I call. I love that. With my five kids every morning, that's how I wake them up with the clarion call. And <laughs> just put a war in those moments. Awesome. <laughs> Time for war. Okay. Suit up. Ephesians 6. Okay. Let's um, – okay. I don't know about you. I was completely freaked out by reading this article. The article is – called The Unreproducible Society. We read yeah. it at frontporchrepublic.com. It is about a book. The book is called Countdown uh, by Dr. Shanna Swan. Just you know, brief people in on this. Yeah, it's, well, you know, there's, there's increasing research being done about uh, why there's such low sperm counts for men and why there's an increase in miscarriages among women. And, and people are trying to get their head around what what is happening in the struggles to reproduce and boy it, this is where you you see the statistics and then you have to ask the question why and 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 the why is where things can always get a little dicey in any scientific inquiry because people have a wide variety of opinions as to the why but 
you, you look back 30, 40, 50 years ago and, and the rise of different kinds of cancers, uh, after a while, they were able to attach the why to smoking. And, and I don't think that there's a lot of scientific dispute any longer that smoking is going to disrupt certain kinds of processes within a person's system that's going to cause your cells to start going haywire and reproduce uncontrollably and, and lead to some of the cancer. So there's that direct connection. The, the why that's being explored right now in this non-reproducible society is the impact on what, what are called EDCs or endocrine disrupting chemicals. And, and where the research is, not any firm conclusions yet, but they're finding more and more and more ties between environmental toxins and the disruption in people's endocrine systems where you would then have a, a much healthier sperm count or an ability to bear children. And so they're just wondering about all of the chemicals and toxins that are in our food, that are in our water, that's in our environment, and the impact that it has. And and so you know, this is going to be controversial for a lot of people, right? I mean, some people have gone to alternative therapeutic approaches that they want to eat organic. They want to avoid all the different toxins in our environments. Other people are saying, oh, it's not a big deal. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where the research goes with this, Carmen, in the, in the next few years ahead, because there are increasing ties between the toxins and the rise of autoimmune diseases, um, the, the ability of the body to, to sort of fight these things off. It, you know, again, we keep, you and I talk often about the next generation. These are their questions. These aren't maybe the questions that um, that I would have had or that my parents would have had necessarily. But our kids are growing up in a society that you can objectively say is swimming in toxins. The impact of those toxins, it's going to be really interesting to see moving forward. But that's where a lot of the research is right now related to this. Yeah, here's a line in the article. Society as we have organized it is literally unreproducible. Yeah. Um I I um you know this is a fascinating fascinating conversation. Um ultimately it all comes down to the soil, what is in it, what we're putting into it, what we're expecting out of it, what we're taking from it. It's an interesting conversation about God having placed us as stewards in a garden. And I do think there's a conversation here for Christians to have that, you know, I mean, for the super smarty pantsy ones, right, like you, who (laughs) could say the words related to what an EDC is, which is why I assigned this to you, Professor, so that you could talk about polychlorinated diphenyls and dioxins and, you know, pesticides. I know what those are, but I don't know what perfluorochlorochlo compounds are. <laughs> but but I do, but I've seen PFCs and I know that's bad. And I know I don't want BPA in the plastic that my drinks are in and blah, 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 blah. But I don't know really what phthalates f- 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 are. Right. I don't know what those are, but apparently they're in my laundry. Like, right. They and so I'm just like, Oh, my goodness. There's lots of things in lots of things. And ultimately, all of it comes out of and then back into the soil. And when it comes out of the soil, it comes out in one form and one way. And then when we put it back in um, through landfills or water or whatever, um, when we put it back in, then it it is going in as a contaminant. And then we're eating it. We're like literally eating it. Indeed. So I Indeed. I was fascinated by the whole thing, the conversation about hormones and hormone therapy and what women are actually have over now uh, generations since the advent of the pill been doing to their bodies 
unbeknownst, really, like, right? Everybody trusted. That's FDA approved. Everybody can take that. You know, you can monkey around with your with your hormones. You can put off uh, having a baby as long as you want. I mean, you can you can disrupt that cycle in your own body, and you're in charge. Come to find out, that's not true. That's, that's exactly like not right. true. So it's fascinating. It's interesting. It's inescapable. It is going to be a highly controversial conversation because, frankly, no one wants to hear it. So the book is Countdown, um, and I'm not necessarily recommending it because I haven't actually read the whole book yet, but I have read the article uh, or an article about the book at FrontPorchRepublic.com, and I recommend you get into this conversation. The Unreproducible Society is the article. The book is Countdown. Hey, Thanks for um, being willing to take an assignment, uh, you know, words I don't know how to pronounce. Maybe that's yeah, what we should call call this segment, words yeah. we don't and know when, how to pronounce. That's what we do in the morning, Carmen, when I wake up the kids with the clarion call is then we go through the vocab <laughs> of the day. And so, you know, if it's not five syllables, I start really going to war with them at that point. It's perfect. <laughs> I spelled quintessential in a game of um, bananagrams two nights ago. That's it. That's all that I have. Is- that is legitimately impressive. I could not do that. I could not duplicate that. That's all I have for you. All right. I could spell kidney if you'd give me a minute, but I don't have a minute. All right. We got to go. Thanks, man. Love it. Talk to you soon. Bye. That's Dr. Peter Kapsner, who we love. We'll be right back. All right. For those of you looking for it, Countdown is a book by Simon and Schuster, so you can find it there. Next up, Dave Haytag. Let me tell you, if you have been looking for a conversation about a real guy doing real work um, and doing it in the right spirit, Dave Haytag is your guy. He's the author of Good Work, How Blue Collar Business Can Change Lives, Communities, and the World. And he joins me next. The scripture says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is Max Licato. Could you use some calm? God is ready to give it. It will require some work on your part. In fact, for some of you, God's healing will include the help of therapy and or medication. If that is the case, Do not for a moment think that you are a second-class citizen of heaven. This much is sure. It is not God's will that you lead a life of perpetual anxiety. He made you for more than a life of breath-stealing angst and mind-splitting worry. He has a new chapter for your life, and he is ready to write it. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now, Dave Haytag. I haven't met him yet, but um, I really want to know him. I want to hang out with him. I want to go to Wisconsin and be in the machine shop. The book is Good Work, How Blue Collar Business Can Change Lives, Communities, and the World. Dave, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you. Hey, come on up. We'll can peaches together. Dude, I am on it. I have uh, I have put up peaches this year. I have uh, dried apples. I've I mean, yeah, I'm on it, man. I'm on it. I'm dehydrating peaches right now, so I could use some help. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So, um, this is 
my listeners would have no idea why I would be asking you this question. But um, are you in the shop this morning? And if so, what are you wearing? I am in the shop. I'm actually in my office, and I'm wearing my my shop uniform, which is a Edgerton gear shirt. And it's hot in the shop, so I'm wearing shorts and my boots as well. So I like the the reality that you know you're you're in charge, but you are still you know dressing for the real job on the floor. Tell us about the shop. And maybe take us back to the shop floor and the culture of the shop when you were a kid. Because this is a second-generation story um, of a gear shop. And I just think people need to go back in order that we can talk about what we're doing today. Sure. So a, a gear shop, we make custom gears for all sorts of equipment. So modern civilization would not exist without gear makers because our bottles, our cans, our papers, our boxes, everything that we wear, everything that's in our offices and our homes are made with the assistance of gears. So my my dad and mom started the, the company in 1962. And I came back in, gosh, 1992. And it was a pretty dark place. I grew up in the shop since I was five years old. Grew up since I was, I think I was working in there since I was five years old. Um, but it fit the stereotype of a lot of shops being dirty, dark, and dangerous. Um, and I would add depraved. <laughs> and I say that affectionately, but the reality was quarter barrel of beer in the lunchroom, pornography everywhere. Um, blue collar folks were just kind of a rough crowd. And so I, I ran away from home uh, in kind of a literal sense at 19, or I'm sorry, at 22. Lord got a hold of me at 19. And, you know, I, I was kind of one of those folks that really got zealous for God. God got a hold of me, hasn't let go of me since. And then I went on this career path of, okay, what do you do when you're really excited about God? You, you, everybody says you become a missionary, a pastor, or a youth worker. And I did all of that. But then in 1990 at theological graduate school up at Regent College, uh, God called my wife and I back to the mess of what I call the family business. And could the kingdom of God impact even a blue collar shop? Like I said, with beer and porn and, and all that other dysfunction that happens in a lot of machine shops. So I've been back here for almost 30 years trying to figure out how the gospel is relevant, even in a blue collar shop. One of the things that comes through in Good Work, How Blue Collar Business Can Change Lives, Communities, and the World, um, one of the things that comes through, Dave, is that you could leave the shop, you know, seeking to go serve God somewhere else, like, you know, as Mm -hmm. if, I don't know, as if Edgerton Gear was kind of your Nineveh, the Nineveh of your youth. Um, (laughs) Yeah. but, But God really brought you back, and he brought you back in obedience. Um, That Mm -hmm. is a word that... um, comes around pretty frequently in this conversation. Um, I'd love for you to talk with um, with our listeners about your experience of, you know, quote unquote, coming home. I mean, you really had this desire to introduce kingdom values, but that was met with real resistance. Yeah, you know, in the idea of running away, believe me, Carmen, I've tried to run away numerous times uh, over the last 30 years because it, it's a hard environment. And anytime you're trying to change culture uh, and and there's so much dysfunction and there's infighting and there's sabotage of employees who are trying to undermine what you're doing, uh, difficult customers, vendors, uh, and just all the relational dynamics inside the shop. And and, and I got to say, one of my mentors used to say that God often returns us to the scene of the crime. And for me, that was coming back to the shop. That was a place 
and to the family where, you know, I, I really struggled to understand how God could be be relevant and in, in such a dark, you know, for me, a dark place. And so when you when you enter in these places that you need to come back to, you know, like like Moses did, like Joseph did and so many like Paul did. Uh, we have so many biblical examples. God often deals not only with the environment and the culture that we're in, but he has to deal with our messiness inside of us ourselves. And so it's been a real struggle. Um, you know, it, it put a lot of stress on my marriage, uh, stress as a dad, stress of just, just running the business every day. And over and over, I, I was dealing with cycles of burnout and, and trying to hang in there every day to try to institute change. And it, and it comes really, really slow. So for me, it really was a, a issue of obedience to just to, to stay the course and, and not bail and <laughs> run off and and hope that God would reveal his real plan for our lives. Um, but as, as the years went, went by, we realized his plan for us was to stay here and, and, uh, and earn street cred in our community, in our industry, um, and in our family. So Dave, I want to talk about hiring for character in just a moment, but let's, let's go, let's circle back around to the book title. What is good work and what makes work good? So I'm going to reference your book real quick because I think it's an awesome book, Speak the Truth. And I was reading through it, and you hit on something on, on page. I'm looking at it right now. It says, Facing the Reality of a World in Hiding from God. And it's on page 68. And you say something really profound that our culture really does seem to be hiding from God, right? So the challenge of good work and the challenge of believers in our, in our, in our culture is we have to earn the right to speak. And so I say that that for us, we need to not just speak the truth. We need to live the truth. Okay. Mm -hmm. So good work is we have to allow the goodness of God to come through everything we do. And we are all at, most of us are at some sort of a job, 40, 50 hours a week. And we have so many opportunities to live a life and show the world a life of integrity, of goodness, of honesty, of humility. And, and in our very polarized culture right now, people need to see what goodness is. And in, in order for us to earn the right to speak, we have to live that. So for me, good work is, is making a gear that's precise, that's serving the good of the world, that's helping my customer, that's helping make good, good products to make our lives better, treating my, my employees with respect and dignity, my coworkers, my customers, my vendors, because the, the essence and the true character of God is goodness, and we need to reflect that. So I think all work has the capacity to be good work if we allow the Spirit of God to live through us. Uh, I think there's no question about that. Um, and what you're talking about there, I think, is how the person, the changed person, the kingdom person, as they are, as we are living out the reality of who we are as changed people, mm -hmm. as kingdom people in the midst of the kingdoms of this world, like it is hard, but it yeah. is also a witness. It's a testimony and it does over time change things. Dave Haytag Absolutely. and I have to take a very, very brief break. We're going to um, come back and continue our conversation about good work, how blue-collar business can change lives, communities, and the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dave Haytag. He is a second-generation president and owner of Edgerton Gear. It's a Wisconsin-based custom custom gear manufacturer. 
Um, he also, you know, is a super smarty pants and um, and has a doctorate and has written a book and all of those kinds of things. I am intrigued to talk with you on another occasion, Dave. We, we won't do it today, but I really want to talk about your craftsman with character curriculum, um, the course that you developed for high school students, because I think vocational ed, you know, trades and manufacturing, it's not just an excellent career path. It is going to be the way forward for most of our kids. And so, um, you know, helping us, helping us help them not only move in that direction, but do so as people of Christ in the workplace. Um, So I look forward to having that conversation in the future. Um, But I have a, we've got a, We have a listener request. <clears throat> Mary yeah. wants to know your wife's name because Mary feels compelled to pray for your wife. <laughs> My wife's <laughs> name is Tracy, and she is a, uh, a gosh, she's way more than any man deserves. Put it that way. She's put up, she's put up a lot, and she's been incredibly faithful and, and, and a huge part of my life. So, all right, so, so Mary. You. Yeah, Mary, thank you for asking, and um, we are going to all be praying for Tracy as she <laughs> is alongside Dave in this work. So, Dave, let's talk about um, one of the big transitions that you made was hiring for character. And I mm-hmm. thought maybe one way to get into this conversation would be for you to tell us a little bit about, like, Clayton Flood. T- tell us about a specific person. <laughs> oh, boy. Clay- Clayton's a great kid. Uh, he um, started working here in high school. And we could recognize really quickly that that uh, he's just a, an amazing young man with just a, a ton of humility, and he's teachable, and he's respectful, and he just wants to find his place in the world. So he went from a high school student to a summer internship to an apprenticeship, and now he's one of our journeyman machinists. And and he's he's pretty typical of a lot of the young folks that we hire. And and I got to mention too, real quick, Carmen, that the Craftsman with Character course we go after the kids that nobody else wants. Uh, we go after the D students in high school that, that don't have a sense of purpose. And so we have stories of, of kids who, who really, really struggled, socially shut down, don't, don't fit in. And they, when they're mentored and encouraged, if we see that spark of character, that spark of integrity in them, that, that, that desire to be better and to grow, um, we just love all over them. And our shop now is a mentoring culture that we, Look for the, the those character qualities, or or people that want to learn those character qualities. It used to be thought that you can't teach character, but I really think you can if you have people in the right environment. And so, obviously, in any business or any organization, um, character is huge. And if without it, the whole the whole things whole company comes off the rails. So, um, yeah, we we really look for character in people. All right, I just uh, I just got word that we have books to give away. I didn't know it, and now I know it. And so if you are listening right now and you're, you've been saying to yourself, huh, I really want a copy of that book, Good Work, How Blue Collar Business Can Change Lives, Communities, and the World, I've got a handful of copies to give away. So go ahead and text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Um, and, and I'm serious. I want to circle back around and have another conversation specifically about the, um, the curriculum. Um, so let's do sure. this today because we've only got a couple of minutes left. Yeah, um, yeah. Talk right now to the person who's listening who is saying, I don't work in that kind of place. I am, I am going to work. I'm heading to work. I, I am a Christian. I want to have a good attitude about all of this. 
but I am working in an environment like the one that Dave described at the beginning of the conversation, a place that's depressing and where people are disinterested in me and I feel like a cog. Mm. And and I think that's a lot more than we realize because that's that's the marketplace, the workplace today. You know, I I think God calls us to messes, right? The world's broken. Uh, we are needed in, in so many arenas throughout our society. And, and And so I would say to that person, you know what? The Spirit of God is living in you. You have a bigger uh, influence than you can possibly imagine. I don't care where you are in the totem pole in your company. If you can go in your job with respect and integrity and try to be that that person of influence, that transformational influence, even if you're affecting just one or two people around you, and then you start looking at your work and said, how can how can this work possibly be glorifying to God? Um, when you start praying that prayer and you invite God into the presence of your everyday work life, your perspective starts to change. And, and I think the Holy Spirit starts giving us opportunities to be influential and change change agents in ways that we can't even imagine. You know, Ephesians tell us now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. I think that applies to the workplace and even the most depraved, dark, depressing workplaces. Um, and I, I always didn't believe that. But after 30 years, I, I am amazed at the influence that even one person can make just by uh, just by submitting and being obedient every day, no matter what job you're doing. All right. Well, the text line is exploding, but if you want to get in, we are giving away copies of Dave's book, Good Work, How Blue Collar Business Can Change Lives, Communities, and the World. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Jim says, hey, that was me. I was that kind of high school student. Um, so I do think this resonates with, you know, not just with folks who are listening. This really resonates with the reality that we live mm-hmm. in today. Um, how can I, as a person who, you know, uh, although I live on a farm and so <clears throat> I do a lot of blue collar work, you know, yeah, that's not what I yeah. do for pay. I have I have what I think we would consider a white collar job. How can oh. I speak into, encourage um cultivate the community in which I live, which is populated overwhelmingly by people who work in blue collar industries? Well, it goes, I, th- I think it goes back again to what I, what I just mentioned. It's, it's this sense of, you know, I, I go back to brother Lawrence, where he mm. talks about practicing the presence of God. And he was, a, he was, a, they didn't even allow him to be a monk and it goes way, way back centuries ago, but he, he found the presence of God and even even washing dishes, right? And mm-hmm. and so I think as we approach everything that we do with the sense that that the goodness of God is coming through us, you know, there's the saying that that's attributed to Saint Francis, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. I think that's really really profound in our in our culture, especially we have, like I said earlier, we have to win that win that respect uh, of people just by being people of goodness and integrity. So when Jesus says, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, we are seeking God and his true inner goodness, which is which Dallas Willard would translate as, as true inner goodness, righteousness. Um, when that comes through in everything that we do through the day, I, again, I think we're amazed at, at the influence and the power that God has in our lives and those around us. Um, we're, we're a lot more influential. You know, I, I, and real quick. You know, our churches are full of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who struggle to connect their faith to the other six days of the week. Mm-hmm. And I think when you start exploring that and you say, God, how can I be impactful no matter what I do? It's a whole new ride of of, of the spiritual life that that is 
in that can be exciting. It can be heartbreaking because you start getting in touch with the heart of God. And I think when we work, that's when we're also often closest to the heart of God because God's a worker. All right, dude, you better get ready because people are going to start showing up, not just with like broken gears that need fixing, but they're going to be like, okay, help me fix what's broken in my world. So Dave Haytag, thank you so much. The book is Good Work, How Blue Collar Business Can Change Lives, Communities, and the World. We're giving away copies. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Four and look forward to um, having you back on to talk about the curriculum as well. I just, um, I'm really excited about that. Dave, thanks so much. Carmen, thank you. It's been a real honor and a privilege to be to be with you today, and, and thank you so much. Give Tracy our greetings and assure her of our prayers. All right, what a joy. Thank you so much um, for being with me. I am with you. Let's all go be with Jesus in the world that he so loves. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.